This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. Let's begin with the reading of God's word. We're going to read uh, just chapter one. Uh, the today's sermon is uh, I, I entitled it uh, "Previously on dot dot dot" because we're going to review the first twenty-seven chapters of Isaiah. Um, it'll be, if we can tell the story of the Bible in like six symbols then I think we can review 27 chapters of the book of Isaiah. So if you would just, uh, chapter one, a lot of commentators see that chapter one is a summary of the whole book of Isaiah. So if you look at, even on chapter two, it starts with the word of Isaiah, the son of Amos on chapter two, um, because it's almost like reintroducing the whole book. So if you would stand, uh, and then we are gonna read chapter one of Isaiah, and then we'll jump in. Uh, chapter 1. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Why will you still be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot, even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but bruises and sores and raw wounds. They are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. Your country lies desolate, your cities are burned with fire, in your very presence foreigners devour your land. It is desolate, it is overthrown by foreigners. And the daughters of Zion is left like a booth in a vineyard, like a lodge in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. If the Lord of hosts have not left us a few survivors, we should have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity in solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. 
Wash yourselves, make yourself clean, remove the evil deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Come, now let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. How the faithful city has become a whore. She who was full of justice, righteousness lodged in her, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross, your best wine mixed with water. Your princes are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless, and the widow's cause does not come to them. Therefore, the Lord declares, the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, ah, I will get relief from my enemies and avenge myself on my foes. I will turn my hands against you and smelt away your dross as with lie and remove all your alloy. And I will restore your judges as at the first and your counselors at the beginning. Afterwards shall be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Zion shall be redeemed by justice and those in her who repent by righteousness. The rebels and sinners shall be broken together and those who forsake the Lord shall be consumed. For they shall be ashamed of the oaks that you desired and you shall blush for the gardens that you have chosen. For you shall be like an oak whose leaf withers and like a garden without water. And the strong shall become tender and his work a spark and both of them shall burn together with none to quench them. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Let me start by praying for us this morning. Father, I thank you. Um, I thank you for the book of Isaiah. It's, um, it's big, it's a lot. It's difficult uh, to sort of grapple with and uh, whether it's just the, the poetry or, or, the, or the era or the, the language, Lord, um, we need your help by your spirit um, just to understand what's being said and um, that's not even including our, our hearts that are prone to wander as we uh, sang this morning. We need, we need to recognize the, the reality that we are prone to wander from your good word. Um, and you, so use your spirit this morning. Use your spirit to bring clarity. Use your spirit to bring knowledge and understanding and wisdom as we seek to consider and learn from what you have written in your word. Um, and, and use your spirit first and foremost to soften our hearts. Lord, so that we would turn back, so that we would come to you and, and embrace the glory and majesty of everything that you are, Lord, a just God, a beautiful God, a gracious God, and a good God. Help us see you better through your word. In your name I pray, amen. All right, so um, before we jump into Isaiah, um, and this is gonna bother me, it's like crooked, oh well. Before we jump into uh, the first 27 uh, plus some bonus chapters of Isaiah, <laughs> you're like, you know, I wanted, I thought it would be helpful to sort of start with a scenario that uh, you and I can probably relate to a little better. Um, so you have to use your imagination a little bit. Um, and for some of you, you may not have to use your imagination and there might be some trauma from this exercise. <laughs> but but let think of a uh, an organization. Think of an organization that could that could be a, a company that you worked for. 
Uh, that could be your church. That could be a past church. Think of an, an organization you've been involved with that has had a measure of success. That's had a measure of success. And it, it almost feels like, man, things are just riding high. Things are going really well. And again, this might be harder for some of you to use, you gotta use your imagination on this one. Um, and then all of a sudden, it seems like out of nowhere, things just hit the floor. Things tank. Things aren't so good. Uh, and I spent, you know, 15, 14 years in retail in a, a variety of different uh, places and, and roles. And, and I, I remember when Circuit City closed its doors, kind of like to date. I had friends that were like, bro, I don't have a job. I like just hopped from Best Buy over to here because I got a higher pay. And literally now all the stores are shutting down. Um, and, and, and in the retail world, things like uh, Sears is another like a success story where it was like, wow, you know, they're just like, if you were buying something, it was from the Sears catalog, you know, lol, that's old. Um, but, but it was, I mean, they're everywhere. And now you go to like, a, you know it's a bad like strip mall when there's a Sears, you know, like Casa Bonita is like next to a Sears. It's like kind of just like, it just, cr it just crashed and it just tanked. And so I think a lot of us have had like an experience like that. And if we haven't been a part of an organization, I think we can personally maybe relate to that. Whether it's like a relationship, whether it's like something that we, we have had a measure of success at. Um, I, you know, uh, this is kind of a, a silly one, but I went back and tried to look at some of my like calculus notes after being out of high school for, for a while. And I was like, I don't even know what this means. Like, like 2003, Aaron would just mock me mercilessly right now because uh, I was like really good at it in high school and I literally can't even read my notes um, from that. And it could be, could be something more difficult, um, like, like a, a marriage that was, was uh, riding high or a relationship that was riding high and then got very difficult. Um, so I think we've all kind of relate to this experience of, man, this has been wonderful, but all of a sudden there's like a shift and there's something that makes it more difficult and there's something that makes it more painful. And if we can relate to that, then we can relate to literally the story of Isaiah. <laughs> this, this is the story of the book of Isaiah, but the beauty, the thing that makes this not just a depressing series for all of us is that the book of Isaiah comes out of that. Almost in a sense, it actually comes out of it in a way greater and grander than it was in the past. So you, you have this, this track as you work through the book of Isaiah of, man, things are wonderful. Things are great. If you look at your, uh, in, your, in your little journal Bible there, it starts with the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So if you want to put, if you want to write down on that section right there, Second Chronicles, which I just put... C-H-R-O, because I don't know if I know how to spell Chronicles. Um, Second Chronicles 26 through 32. Second Chronicles 26 through 32. It gives you sort of this broad scoping history of what is happening during Isaiah's time. And Isaiah is during a time where with Uzziah and Jotham, they both reigned combined for 68 years. 68 years total, 68 years of, of Israel seeing success 
after success after success. They're, they're actually worshiping God. They're going back to the law. It's, it's to the point where even with Jotham, the nations are paying tribute to Israel. The, the surrounding nations see the glory and majesty of Yahweh and of worship in Jerusalem. And during this time, tribute is pouring into Israel. Things are great. They're on cruise control. Everything is wonderful. And then Ahaz comes on the scene. Ahaz is like the worst of the worst. And he's like, you know, since we're doing so well, since things are so great, why don't we build more places to worship? Why don't we veer from God's law and, and sort of mix in all of these other aspects of the community? So, so they're, they're we're gonna like, you know. <laughs> so, so Ahaz shows up on the scene and all of a sudden, after 60 plus years of things just going wonderful, things start to spiral. Things start to go downhill. The, the people begin mixing uh, religions from surrounding cultures with, with uh, true worship of God in Jerusalem. And, and because of that, God brings judgment. And that, this is Isaiah's role is to proclaim that judgment that's gonna come. He pro proclaimed that judgment and say, hey, everyone seems very comfortable with what's going on, but it, it's about to go down the toilet. I don't know if you know this, but if uh, we were seers, all our stock is gonna tank here very shortly. And Isaiah is sort of, sort of waving the flag and saying, guys, like you are ignoring what God is doing. You're, you're, the, the king is leading us astray. And, and, no, and God kind of tells Isaiah, no one's gonna listen to you. No one is going to turn back, but I'm gonna step in and act. I'm gonna step in and turn things around. And the, the, the beauty, the, the awesome thing about Isaiah's lifetime is it ends with Hezekiah. Hezekiah, it says in Chronicles that there was more joy, there was, there was as much joy and rejoicing in Jerusalem. There never had been that much joy and rejoicing since Solomon, since King Solomon. So the there, there, span of Isaiah's lifetime is, hey, things are wonderful. We're set on cruise control. All of a sudden now we're turning from the Lord and people get put like a quarter million people either die or get brought off to slavery during Isaiah's time. It goes very poorly, very quickly. But then Hezekiah comes. There's this king, there's this wonderful king who turns the people back to the Lord and there's more joy and rejoicing than there ever was in Isaiah's lifetime to the point where he compares it to King Solomon. And if you know anything about King Solomon, he's like the, the, the best of the best as far as, as far as Israel was concerned, as far as he did, you know, he did some things that we shouldn't be proud of, but in, as far as his history goes and what that accomplished for Israel. So, th so, so what you have right there is the story of Isaiah. What you have there is this, 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 this feeling of things were going great, things just went terrible, and now as God calls them back, as God tells them to turn from idolatry and welcome them back, which is the section that we're gonna be in for the next couple of months, God, God waiting for them to come back to him.
There's the, the next couple sections we'll see, it's through this great king and it moves forward in this wonderful picture of new creation that Isaiah himself experienced in the days of Hezekiah. Tribute begins to pour back into Israel because they've turned to the Lord and they've trusted him and they've seen him work. And so I have like a little outline of uh, the whole book of Isaiah and I wanna hit on a, a few of the first couple of parts. So I don't know if Cole can flip to that because I didn't write it all down. But okay, cool. Oh, I see it up there. Well, I see it. You guys don't get to see it. Um, so there, it, it's Isaiah, I've broken it into five parts, essentially. And we have already gone through parts one and parts two. And that's a little bit of what we're going to review this morning. And we're going to, over the next couple of months, we're going to be into parts three, which is chapters 28 through 39. And then, you know, as the Lord wills, uh, we'll do another part next year uh, and another part after that. So you're going to have to hang on to your... Uh, your Isaiah journals there. And um, we're gonna sort of flip through the book of Isaiah because I want to, uh, I wanna kind of, I think the, maybe the, the learning point for us, the thing that we can take away from this, and we talked a little bit about this in prayer this morning, is that when things fail, uh, when there's this traumatic turn of events in our lives, that, that's not an accident. That's not, that's not uh, something that just kind of got out of God's hands um, or that, um, that, that doesn't have purpose and intention. And I think as we look at Isaiah and we look at them, him being in that scenario, we can recognize where we have been idolatrous. We can recognize where we have gone astray from the Lord. And, and we can also turn and be welcomed back into his presence. We can also turn and embrace the ways of God and the, the idea that God is our, is our ultimate goal and our ultimate end and, and worship of him is where we're directed. And if we do that, there, I think there's a very real sense in which we should expect God to do wonderful things in our lifetime. We should expect God to act in this certain way. And um, we won't turn there, but uh, Corinthians tells us that all of these stories in the Old Testament are written down for our example, on whom the end of the age has come. So, so, so that you and I would not desire evil as they did. So Paul is telling us all these stories in the Old Testament, this, this scope of, of things failing, of people turning back to God and God working wonderful and majestic things for his kingdom. This, this pattern that we see in the book of Isaiah is written down so that you and I could learn not to desire evil as they did. So that you and I could see how God works, trust him, and expect him to do wonderful things. And so that's kind of, kind of our, our, my desire this morning is to sort of see the broad scope of Isaiah, to sort of recognize our own idolatry, to, to see uh, sort of like the way God is working in history, to consider the storm, the, the things that are happening in the world and in our lives, and then to embrace his paths, embrace his path so that we could see his king and have more hope for the future. And I don't mean that in the, I do mean that in the sense of, yes, there's a new creation. There is a time where God will wipe away every tear. Uh, and we, you and I will be in perfect fellowship with every believer in the history of mankind. And we look forward to that. And we want to praise him and thank him and just cling to that hope. 
But I think the way God works in history, the way God works in time is he's, he's bringing these thunderclouds, he's bringing these storms because he wants us to turn back to him and we should see him actually work in space and time. That's how he's worked in the past and it's the same God that we worship and believe that's how he's gonna work today and in the future as well. So let's look at chapter one and, and consider this idea of recognizing our, our, our idolatry. In the first of these, these uh, five sections, we're gonna spend the most time on the first two. So if you, we get through the first one, you're like, oh my gosh, it's gonna be like a three hour sermon um, to get through all five. We're not gonna go through, we're not gonna, we're just gonna go through the first sort of 20, sort of a, a survey over the first 27 chapters of the book of Isaiah. Um, so look at chapter one in your book. In chapter one is, I've said this a couple of times, which is a, it's a little summary of the whole span of the book of Isaiah. And I love how the Lord starts this in verse two. He says, hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared up and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. That's a... That's, that's like rough. Um, that's, a, a, that's a brutal insult right there. These are, these are his, his children. And I, when I see uh, Rhett run across or, uh, or, or Mava when dad walks in uh, to pick her up, you know, there's no struggle of recognition there. Like, that's mom, that's dad. That's, I'm excited. I'm like... I see you, I connect with you. And here God is saying, I've raised up children. And when I enter the room, they don't even know who I am. They don't even know who I am. And the, and the reason for that, the reason why we would struggle to recognize what God is doing is because we, we, have a, we see God in the way he is not. Like, no one in this room is like, and I don't think Israel, Israel wouldn't have said, oh, we don't believe in Yahweh, you know, we don't know, we, you know, we don't, that's a false God. That's not how, that's not how idolatry happens. Idolatry happens by considering and thinking things about God that are not true, or, or going to things that are less than God and sort of expecting them to do things that God is saying he does. So uh, there's a quote from A.W. Tozer that I think helps us consider uh, just this idea about idolatry. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Now that's sort of like uh, uh, the, the positive reality um, but I want to I want to invert that quote because I think it helps us understand idolatry a little bit more. Um, I, I, look at it this way: What comes into our mind when we think about the most important thing to us? What comes into our mind when we think about the most important thing to us? What's the most important thing to you? Amen. <laughs> I think that is very important to some people in this room, and I'm thankful for that. It's important to me um, for a lot of reasons, and I, and I value it, and I'm thankful for that. Some of us, it's when we think about what's the most important thing that, that comes in our minds. Some, maybe it's our health. Maybe it's our um, Strava stats. I don't know, you know who that would be. 
Um, or, you know, which, you know, it's not that important until you're like, oh, no, I'm not going to really get this many miles this week or whatever, you know, then, then you're like, then it's a big deal. So what, what comes into your mind when you think about the most important thing to you? And I want to finish my inverted version of that quote. What comes into your mind when you think about the most important thing to you tells me who your God is. That tells me who your God is. And I think we can take really good things. We can take really good things like uh, our, our call to raise children, our, the importance of relationships, um, our job. I mean, these are all good and beautiful things. And as PDT or Paul David Tripp says, is we take good things, we make them God things. It's the thing we go to for our joy and our peace. It's the thing that if it's disturbed a little bit, we're disturbed. It's, it's the thing that we value so much that if God rattles it a little bit, we break down. And I think that's what, that, that, that's how we should view idolatry. And, and Isaiah in the first 12 chapters is trying to help us recognize idolatry. It's trying to help us see that we take these good and beautiful gifts and we put them on this pedestal that they shouldn't be on. That, that we are not, we're not, our, our desire is not fixed on seeing and glorifying and embracing and just being in the presence of God and submitting to him as our king and our servant. Like that's not the thing that rattles us that I could or could not serve God or that I could or could not pursue God. It's all of these lesser things over here. And God's saying, if I'm not the ultimate, if I'm not first place, if I'm not the one that is submitted to and that's worshiped, you've put something else in that place. You've put something else in that place. I think a good example in Israel's history of taking a good thing and turning it into a God thing is the golden calf. You know, that's like the famous story. Moses goes up to hear from God and they make the golden calf and they say, this is Yahweh, this is our God. Do you know where they got the gold? It was a gift from God, from Egypt. God said, I'm gonna rescue you from Egypt in a way that's so amazing that the Egyptians are gonna give their gold and their silver and everything to you. Like it was a good gift from God. He was, he, God was showing off his power and authority to, to do wonderful things among his people. There was nothing wrong with having the gold. <laughs> they just fashioned it into something and set it up and said, this is the thing that's rescued us. This, and we take a lot, that's what we do with our idolatry. We take these good gifts that God has given us. Instead of using them to draw us closer to God, Instead of using them to say, Lord, how can I use this thing you've given me to serve you? We stop with the thing and make it our idol. So the first 12 chapters of Isaiah, and there's, you know, in, these are themes. So you're gonna have pieces of the other themes in every little section. But a big focus of the first 12 chapters of Isaiah are saying, hey, you don't recognize me my children don't see me when I walk into the room because they've made idols, they've made gods out of lesser things. Flip ahead to chapter two, verse six. Kind of brings us out in chapter two. 
trying to help, again, help them recognize their idolatry. It says, for you have rejected your people, the house of Jacob, chapter two, verse six, because they are full of things from the east and of fortune tellers like the Philistines and they strike hands with the children of foreigners. Their land is filled with silver and gold and there is no end to their treasure. Their land is filled with horses and there is no end to their chariots. Their land is filled with idols. They bow down to the works of their hands to what their own fingers have made. God has given Israel a huge measure of success with those first two kings. And now they have bounty. They have armies, it describes in Chronicles. They have have gold and silver pouring in. And what do they do with all those good gifts from God? They build something out of it that they go to for worship. They they build something out of it that, that determines what brings them joy and what brings them peace. So what does God do? What does God desire to to have his people recognize who he is and turn back to them? He tells us in chapter five of Isaiah, if you flip forward a few chapters, he has this, this image of a vineyard. And it's a it's a a fun story that Jesus picks up on later in the gospels and and says, uh, I am the true vine. And this, even in the book of Isaiah, is heading towards the fact that God does this with his greater king. But but I love uh, what God says in chapter five, first couple of verses. It says, let me sing for my beloved... He's talking about his children. He says, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved has a vineyard on a fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed it out a vine with uh, vat, or wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O oh, inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there, what more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? God is saying, how much did I bless you? How much did I bring the appropriate things? I, 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 what did I do wrong? What, what, I, 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 I hewed out the, the, whatever the steps are for doing a vineyard. We'll just go with that. I built the wall. I built the tower. I, I've done all the right things. I, we should expect after everything that I bless you with for you to yield fruit of worship and rejoicing and peace and joy. And you should be drawn in, into me, the, the God who's given you and done all these things for you. And instead, you're taking the gifts that I've given you and you're doing terrible things with it. Instead, you're, you're taking the gifts I've given you and you've turned to them and made them where your peace and your joy and, your, and ultimately where your worship goes. So God has a, a plan for this. He says, I need, to, I need to bring a measure of destruction. I need to, to wake up my children from the things that they're clinging to so that they would turn back to me. And he, he even says that in chapter five, there's a, a whole bunch of woes. Verse eight says, woe to those who joined house to house who had fe- uh, field to field until there was no more room and you are made to dwell alone in the midst of the land. 
Woe to those who rise early in the morning and run after strong drink. Woe, verse 18, woe to those who draw iniquity and cords of falsehood and draw, draw sin as with cart ropes. So, verse 20, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes. At the bottom, verse 24, he says, because they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts. They've rejected the law of the Lord of the hosts. He's bringing up, he's raising up, he's, he, he's, he's, he wants his children to recognize their idolatry and the fact that they're not running to God's word, God's law, they're running to their own wisdom. They're running to their own resources. They're running to their, their I love the, the who, who are heroes at drinking strong drink. Sometimes we're not even trying to do anything. We just want to ignore everything. He's like, woe to those who are ignoring everything that's going on because I'm, I'm, the storm is brewing. I want my children to recognize their idolatry. I want them to see that the things that I've given them have become the things that they worship. I'm, I'm sort of, the storm is sort of coming up in the clouds and I want them to see as I bring a measure of destruction, I want them to see so they would come back and recognize me. I want them to see so that I could continue to bless them and continue to build my kingdom in Israel, which is a, an example for us because he wants to build his kingdom now worldwide. Chapter 12 Chapter 12 is sort of a shift now. Verse one, he says, you will say in that day, when I, when I begin to bring some measure of destruction, when I begin to sort of rattle things and take away some of that success, you will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and I will not be afraid for the Lord God is my strength and my song and he has become my salvation. Amen. This is in the end of the first section of Isaiah. God is saying, as I bring these things, as, I, as you give this sudden drop from success, this dramatic decline in the things going on in the world or in your life. He's talking specifically to Israel here. I'm gonna do this because you're gonna see that I'm your strength. You're gonna see that I'm where your hope lies. You're gonna say, what is the most important thing to me? It's that I could be in the presence of God and honor him with my life. He will be my strength. And this is what he promises as he, as he walks into these next sections of Isaiah. This, uh, I think, um, me and Ben had a handful of kind of sarcastic and also kind of true, but the, the, this section of Isaiah, this section of Isaiah from 13 to 27 is like literally 14 chapters of God's judgment on all the nations. You know, when you're preparing a sermon series, you're like... Yeah, 13, we're gonna spend three months in God's judgment. You know, so how do, we, how do we like wrestle with that in a way that is uh, honest to what the text is saying 
but also points us to what God is doing in, it, in the, the good news of his gospel, the good news that these things are, are for a purpose. And I think if we learn anything from, from those chapters is that, is that God is actually working in the world. This is, if you, if you have to, this is not God talking to through his prophets. This is not God telling Moses how to worship on the mountain. This is God speaking to the nations of the world and saying, let me tell you what I am going to do for my people. My people don't recognize me. My people worship things less than me. So I'm gonna step into history and I'm gonna orchestrate nations all over the world to accomplish my purposes to bring my people back to me. And I think about this when it says, consider the storm is sort of how I summarize this section is because if you're out in the mountains and you see the clouds starting to get really dark and scary, you also see like blue sky. And it could be just like a drizzle and you're like, wow, I'm looking at the signs and I'm seeing that things could get really bad really soon. And it could just be a drizzle. It could be like not a big deal. But uh, on the flip side, it can be like, I am stuck in hail because I didn't get to, down from the mountain fast enough. And, and I think that's where we get, uh, we sort of, as God works in the world, is God is uh, moving in the world and doing things in the world. I think we fall into two kind of errors we can say, oh, uh, it's going to hail. It's gonna do this and it's gonna do this, it's gonna do this. I can connect all these dots too directly. I can, I can say, oh, uh, well, there's war in, or, you know, I, you know I, I talked to a friend of mine who's like, well, climate change, obviously revelation's about to happen and things are just gonna go crazy, you know? And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I don't wanna say no, but how, you can't draw that like directly of a connection, but you can't look at inflation you can't look at COVID. You can't look at war in Russia and say, no, nah, nah, there's nothing, you know, it's fine. You know, nothing's gonna happen. It's not a big deal. And we can fall kind of on, on, on both sides of that and say, well, I'm gonna tell you exactly what God is doing here. Or we can go over here and say, well, it has nothing to do with God. It's just like, you know, this thing going on. And God is speaking in Isaiah to the nations that he's bringing his judgment, he's working in the world because he is changing entire empires around so that his people would come back to him. He's not accident, these things are not accidents. God is currently today working in history so that his church would recognize him and worship him more. interesting in chapter 13 and 14 where this section starts he's calling out Babylon he's calling out Babylon which you know when we went through the series Babylon was like the bee's knees of empires you know that kind of had it all together at a certain point in history but there uh they had strength and power and authority and it seemed like they were the ones directing what happened on the world stage. 
And God starts this section in Isaiah talking to this tiny little country, little speck on the map, by saying, just so you know, this world power that is sort of seems like it's directing everything, that's going to go first. I'm going to step in and destroy them because of, and he lists, because of their pride, because of the fact that they reject him. There's all these reasons. And it's, it's interesting that then that those themes and, and what's being spoken about, um, if you look at chapter 14, maybe just highlight verses 12 through 15. In Luke and in Revelation, some of these themes come up. It says, how you are fallen from heaven, talking about Babylon, O day star, son of dawn, how you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, which is like the pit, like the, the grave, to the far reaches of the pit. And in the New Testament, the, the God connects this in his word to the power and authority of Satan himself. He's saying, he's speaking to his church, he's speaking to his people. In, in, in Israel's time, it was, this, it was a literal nation that was the power in the known world. And he's saying, I will crush you because of your pride. But he's now, God has set up this new king worldwide working in history. And he said, he's telling his church, as you see all of these things happening in the world, the, the prince of the power of the air, Satan himself is defeated. His power is taken away. He's been brought down. Jesus says, I saw him fall from heaven. We now have the, the king of kings and the Lord of lords sitting on the throne. So, so in, a, in a, a parallel sense, as we, as we see all of these things happening in the world, as we get nervous about um, how maybe the, some things like inflation affect our budget, as we get nervous about uh, being a church in the city, as we get nervous about broader, you know, Bridget's on the phone with her coworkers in Europe who are like, my electric bill is now 300% larger than it was, and we're not even into the winter yet. As we get nervous about all these big big pieces moving in the world. God is saying, I have already cast Satan off the throne. I have put my king in heaven who is ruling and reigning and is orchestrating all these things that are happening in history. And as you, as you see what's going on and you see the storm sort of forming around you, I'm orchestrating all these things. I'm doing all of these things so that my people would see me as their source of joy and hope and peace and that they would recognize me as their heavenly father so that there'd be more worship, there'd be more joy so that God's people would turn from the things that are less than God and embrace God himself. That's what he's doing. And he's asking us, he's saying, learn from Israel. Learn from these people who refused to recognize and consider the storm that was going around them. Learn from these people. I'm going to skip ahead to chapter 26. I think God said some really encouraging things here. In a giant section, 
all about God's judgment on all the different nations, showing us that God is working in the world for his people to bring them back into the glory and presence of God so they recognize him. Look at what he says in chapter 26. Start in verse one. In the, in the day where God brings the storm, in that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. This song will be sung by God's people. We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. God isn't telling us to make these direct connections and say, oh, because of this in the world, this is what he's doing exactly. God is also telling us to not, he's not telling us to ignore what's happening either. Because some of these things are a little unsettling. And maybe that's just something in your own personal life that's a little unsettling. These, these are all things that are coming at the hand of our king. He's telling us to, to be honest about what we see to, to, to see what God is doing in the world and in my life, but he's encouraging us to keep our minds and our hearts focused on him. To, to, to keep our, our worship and our peace. He's not, he's not rattling the things we like so that we would be just unsatisfied and, and anxious. He's rattling these things around us because he wants us to have our focus and our attention in everything about what we do on his glory and majesty, on serving him, on drawing near to him. He's saying, I've given you good gifts because you can use them to know me better. I've given you relationships and children in a community, in a neighborhood, or whatever I've given you is something I've given you to, to really to help you know me and love me more. And as you, as you keep your mind stayed on me, as you keep your mind stayed on God, it doesn't matter what the storm is bringing, whether it's drizzle or crazy hailstorm, he keeps you in perfect peace. Keeping your mind stayed on him keeps us in perfect peace. He explains himself a little bit. Jump down to verse nine. talks about the, the things he brings into the world. He says, for when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. If favor is shown to the wicked, he does not learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness, he deals corruptly and does not see the majesty of the Lord. You see how those things are connected together If favor is shown to the wicked, he does not learn righteousness. He does not see the majesty of the Lord. God is working in time, working in history, bringing unsettling things in our lives and our community and the world around us because he wants us to see his majesty. 
He wants us to turn to him and find him for our perfect peace. So the section that we are going to focus on for the remaining, I don't know, till Advent, whenever that happens to be, sometime at the end of November or December. Oh huh? Same time every year. <laughs> Thanks, Ben. Five weeks before Christmas? Dang it. Ben's teaching me about all the church calendar stuff. Thanks, Ben. So this is what God does. I want to couch this in the whole book of Isaiah. Because we spent a little bit of time talking about idolatry, talking about the storm that he's bringing. He's encouraging us now in this next section to embrace his ways to find his glory. To embrace his ways to find his glory. Because I think we can, we can see some of the unsettling things. We can acknowledge that we have a measure of idolatry. And then because of sin, we can say, okay, I'm just going to fix it how I want to fix it. I'm going to approach him how I want to approach him. I'm going to deal with this the way I want to deal with this. And, and that's another error in our, our sinful hearts. So God has this whole section saying, do you, do you recognize what I'm doing? Are you unsettled by what's going on in your life or what, around you? Do, you? do you see a measure of your own idolatry? Well, I've given you the way back to me. I've given you the paths to me. And the, the, the name of this series, it says, the Lord waits. The Lord waits. And that comes from that comes from a section in chapter 30. Because he's encouraging you and I to turn back towards him the way he's outlined that, the way he's determined that, so that he could bless us and encourage us and grow his kingdom even more. Amen. He's not bringing a storm in our life to do nothing with that. He's not drawing us back into his presence so that we could say, oh, someday everything will be fixed and we won't have to deal with all the terrible stuff in this world. He works in history. I was talking to uh, Jesse last week. I said, we pray that his kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. Either that was like the cruelest joke of Jesus because well, that will never happen until the very end. Or he meant that our prayers would affect his kingdom growing around us today. And I think what God is showing us in Isaiah is that I, I want you to come back to me. I, I want you to have uh, uh, impressed with my glory and my majesty. I want you to serve me in a way that brings you joy and perfect peace. I, I want to show you how to do that so that I could use you to build my kingdom in ways that you couldn't even imagine so that I could use you to bring joy and rejoicing in Jerusalem in ways that haven't been since a greater time in the past. He's, he's working in Isaiah to help us see what it looks like and how we engaged to build more of his kingdom. So in chapter 30, he kind of addresses the issue of our resistance to embrace his paths, our resistance to embrace what God is doing in verse 15, chapter 30, verse 15, 
He says, for thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest, you shall be saved in quietness and in trust shall be your strength. Now there's a little for uh, most of your Bible, I think all the little uh, journal Bibles in returning, there's a little, little three and it says, or repentance, or repentance and rest. And in our prayer in the morning, we're focusing on this idea of repentance and rest. God is saying, I'm giving you the way towards me. I'm giving you the way to, to see my kingdom grow and be built in ways that you can't even imagine. And whether you say returning, whether you say repentance, the, the idea is the same. He's saying, I'm asking you to give up your efforts. I'm asking you to, to give up the things that you think will bring you joy. I'm asking you to give up what is most important in your life so that you could turn and draw near to me. So that you could turn and, and rest and trust me to do wonderful and awesome things. Amen. Verse 15 continues and said, but you were unwilling and you said, no, we'll flee upon horses. Therefore, you shall flee away. We're gonna, we're gonna take the resources we have and we'll do it our way. We'll ride upon swift steeds. Therefore, your pursuers shall be swift. A thousand shall flee at the threat of one and at the threat of five, you shall flee till you are left like a flagstaff on the top of a mountain, like a signal on a hill or chapter one, like a booth in a cucumber field. He's like, you're gonna go after these things your way. You're gonna try to come back to me your way. And I, if, if that's your intention behind these things, I'm gonna frustrate all your efforts. I'm, I'm gonna not give you a measure of success. And he tells us why in verse 18. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. The Lord waits he knows our hearts and our desire to go to the, all these lesser things. He knows that we're stubborn and we, 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 we get so quickly lean on our own resources or our, our own efforts, our own ways, our own things. He knows this, but he waits. He longs for us to turn back to him. He waits to be gracious to us. He's just saying, recognize your idolatry. Be aware as, I, as the storm comes and, and, and nerves start coming up or, or anger comes or, or, or anything other than peace and joy is coming out. So be aware of what it is you're hoping in. Confess that. Turn to me. I'm waiting arms wide open, waiting for you to come to me so that I can give you joy. I can give you that perfect peace that I'm talking about. I can give you a measure of my glory and majesty. And so that I can do all of that. I can do all of that because now we don't have to worry about our king being like, well, Jotham was good, but Ahaz was bad and Hezekiah is, is great. And we kind of go back and forth. I want you to turn back to me because I put the king on the throne. The, the, the whole next section that we'll get to probably next year is that he will accomplish this through his servant. 
The, the one who has the authority and the power and the plan for building his kingdom is already there and we just have to trust him. And if you trust in him, just like in Isaiah, just like in his own time frame, when a king, a good king turned back to the Lord, there was more joy and rejoicing and more kingdom growth in Isaiah's time than there ever was before. He's saying, if you trust me, if you recognize your idolatry, if you, if you come to me because I'm waiting, I want to, to show you my glory and I wanna use you to build my kingdom in this world in ways you've never seen before. So I look forward to going through this section where the Lord waits because he addresses a handful of things that we accept that we fall short. We accept that he's working in the world, but man, we just cling to a bunch of these other little things. We wanna kind of do it sort of his way and sort of our way. And if we just like mix those things together, you know, whatever proportion we think is good, uh, then we think, then we say, Lord, well, why aren't you, you know, hey, what's the deal here? And he, God's like, I know you too well. <laughs> I wanna walk you through how you can re repent and rest in who I am. So that like Isaiah, you can say with a measure of confidence, God's gonna build his kingdom through his greater king. And you're gonna see, you're gonna see things flow back into my, my community. You're gonna see, see majesty and wonder and kingdom growth like you could never imagine. Because if you trust me and you wanna see me work and you follow the ways that I've designed things, God is saying, I'm gonna do wonderful things. I'm gonna do great things. And so I'm excited to, to lean into this and say, hey, the Lord waits on us. How do you and I recognize our idolatry and turn from those things so that we could see him doing wonderful and glorious things for his kingdom? Not because we're like, this big organization with power, resources, and all the things, but because God has a king on the throne and he wants to use us to build his kingdom. So I'm excited to look at that over the next few months. Let's pray and ask for his help. Father, thank you. Um, just for your patience, Lord. Um, you never, you, you aren't, you're not, we stand in Christ. So you look at us with love and compassion and, and care and you give us your word so that we would recognize our sinful hearts and turn back to you and you, you with, with smile, welcome us into your arms. Lord, I thank you for that reality. I pray that, like Paul says in Corinthians, that we would learn from the Israelites. We would see their example. And, and there's a lot of things we desire that seem good and um, that we cling to. And, and some of those things are, are good and, and are good blessings, but, but we desire evil if we desire those things to give us what only you can give us, Lord. So I pray that you would help us see our idolatry, that you'd help us see the way back to you so that we could see you so that we could rejoice and see you build your kingdom your way. In your name I pray, amen.